What's up, y'all? This is John Lawrence with Anesthesia Guidebook. This is episode 75, Thriving Training, Communicating with Preceptors. The last episode, 74, How to Crush Clinical. That was epic. That was just at an hour of me giving you the deets on how to get through clinical. This episode is going to be shorter than that. It's right at about a half hour. And I'm stoked about it because it's a throwback episode to one of the shows that was part of the original launch of From the Head of the Bed. So uh, that's the podcast that preceded Anesthesia Guidebook. This show came out on March 10th, 2015. Over seven years later, it's coming out again here on Anesthesia Guidebook, and I think the tips shared in this are just as relevant as ever. So you're going to hear from all four of the founders of From the Head of the Bed. So that would include myself, my wife, Kristen Andraco, who has since changed her last name to Lawrence after we had our little baby boy this last year, and then Brad Morgan and Cassidy Paget. So the four of us got together. We were grad students together doing our anesthesia training together at Western Carolina University, and From the Head of the Bed was our graduate nurse anesthesia project. And so that got launched. I continued it on. Um, obviously, you know this story. You've been following Anesthesia Guidebook, and here we are uh, over seven years later, still rocking. So this show is so much fun. It's fun for a number of reasons. It's fun because all four of us are on it. It's fun to listen to how Southern we sound, uh, rocking back in Asheville, North Carolina back in 2015. So you definitely catch some more Southern draw. I definitely understand now why the people in Maine thought that we were super Southern when we moved up here. If you listen to the show, it's insane. And uh, I think it's just a good show. It's super practical. We were all third year anesthesia residents when we recorded this show and we're giving tips on how to how to make it in clinical, how to communicate with preceptors. This really touches on the emotional intelligence it takes to navigate the relationships that you're going to have in the perioperative environment. And that really makes or breaks your day. So lots of good tips here. But before we get to that, I want to give a quick shout out to one of the reviewers of Anesthesia Guidebook on Apple Podcast. They are audacious Alicia, who came in with this review, quote, I am currently an SRNA, go Zags, and I love listening to all of John's content for so many reasons. It gives me a boost when my mindset and motivation with didactic and or clinical are lagging. It's validating for me to hear about the stories and experiences of others. I learn and gain ideas about practicing anesthesia and become so pumped to be joining this incredible profession. Thank you for putting out such helpful, high quality content. Ah, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Audacious Alicia. Good luck as you finish up your training in the Pacific Northwest at Gonzaga University. Tell all the other Zags up there that said, what's up? And uh, that reminds me, I'm actually going to be talking with the folks out of Spokane, Washington with the Providence Anesthesia Services, uh, the CRNAs at that group, just this next week during one of their staff meetings. I'm going to chime in and give a short version of one of the presentations that I give on how to master the craft of being a clinical educator, how to be a good CRNA preceptor in the clinical environment. So I'm stoked that their team is committed to investing in their staff CRNAs. They were telling me ahead of time that they actually set three goals a year as an anesthesia group to work on. And one of their goals this year is to improve their performance as clinical educators. So uh, kudos to their team. I'm super stoked and looking forward to chatting with you all this next week. And with that, let's get to the show. I'm John Lawrence. I'm Kristen Andreco. Brad Morgan. Cassidy Padgett. So we wanted to do this podcast today 
communicating with preceptors is the topic. And I pulled together the folks that are in on the podcast and we want to talk about some lessons that we've learned for the clinical environment when it comes down to communicating with preceptors. And we think this might be valuable for, you know, first year SRNAs or uh, SRNAs that have had a little bit of clinical experience and they want to just take a moment and think about uh, some of these pearls and lessons that we've had. I think that showing up to the clinical environment, you know, the majority of what's going to make your day is your ability to get along with the people that you're working with. You know, you're going to prep for your assignment. You're going to know your cases. You're going to study your drugs and your whole clinical plan. But your ability to just show up and communicate effectively with other people can really set your day up for success. Uh, So what do you all think? How have you seen this be important in your own clinical practice? Oh, yeah, I would definitely say, you know, just starting out that if uh, getting along with your clinical preceptor, whoever you're going to be with, and just all throughout anesthesia school is probably 80% of the game. I mean, it's, it's important to know your facts and to know what your plan of care and that sort of thing. But actually getting along with your preceptor can make or break the day. Yeah. And really being humble. You know, we come from an environment where we're critical care nurses. We have that background and, and you come into school and you want to be that person that knows everything. But it's really time to take a step back and just really accept criticism and be humble for sure. The the, the struggle I had start, starting out at least was that every preceptor is different and they will expect different things. So I think the one thing that helped me was trying to get clarity um, from them before we started our day, kind of what their expectations were, or kind of feel them out and see, you know, how I could adapt, you know, my process to, you know, score points with them essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I think being flexible is like one of the biggest things because the way you do it today may not be how things are done tomorrow when you're with somebody different. So if you're not flexible, that's just going to be a bad day for you every time you go in because it, you're not going to do it the way that you want to do it. You're going to do it the way the preceptor wants you to do it. So. I kind of think that. This is the one chance that you get to have like a two-year mentorship in anesthesia. And you get to see hundreds of different ways to do clinical anesthesia. And it's really a benefit. I try to keep that mentality when I'm seeing so many different ways of doing things and different techniques that this is my chance to see that. One of the points that I think is is just terrifying to first-year anesthesia students is the phone call to the CRNAs the <laughs> night before clinical. God, I hated those days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so definitely in our program, um, that's an expectation that we call the uh, provider that we're working with the next day and kind of give them a rundown of the day. Sometimes they pick up the phone. Other times it's going to go to voicemail. Both are utterly terrifying when you're first starting <laughs> out. So let's start with pieces of information. What's important to convey to your CRNA the night before a day that you're going to work with them? I think it's important to tell them that you're a first-year anesthesia student, um, so they kind of already have that um, under their belt. But for one, tell them your name. Tell them where you're working, who you're working with, the specific time and type of case that you're having. Really, the critical information about the patients. Um, I think that listing every lab value, and probably not a good idea. Uh, you're going to go off for five minutes talking about you know, just one patient. So keep it short and sweet. Um, Just really your basic plan and where you plan on meeting them in the morning. And also your telephone number. (laughs) 
Yeah, I think um, it's very important at some point early on, some, some of the main points that I think that the CRNAs look for, they, they really don't mind who they're working with or what kind of cases we're doing. You know, they've been doing this for years. They know how to do that. One, they want to know what surgeon they're working with kind of early on because that's going to determine what their day may be like. And also after that, they want to know what time their first start case is. I mean, if it starts at 8 o'clock, they may sleep in, sleep in a little later or whatever. So those two important things I always try to stay up early. The other thing that I always try to do with making these calls is, you know, sit down and prepare. Don't just pick up the phone and call on a blind whim because it's not going to go very well and you're not going to be smooth. And, you know, we want to be smooth and in. So... Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, little video reference there. Look it up on YouTube. That's right. You'll get it. <laughs> YouTube. Um, the other thing is is try to be systematic in how you how you call these people and what you say every time, because if you're systematic in in what you do, then it's going to be you're going to get consistent results and you're going to get the same same results and people are going to be happy with what you say. And like Kristen said, just keep it short and simple. Um, just do main points. I wouldn't get into any major details. If, a lot of times I even remember I'd call and I'd be like, um, patients look pretty straightforward, nothing, not a whole lot going on with them, you know, other than just normal everyday things, hypertension, whatever, and then just leave it at that unless there was something really way out there. You know, I, I keep things very, very simple and I give them my phone number and I say, you know, if you have any questions, feel free to give me a call back. I've prepped well before I make that call. That way, if they do pick up the phone, I'm ready to have a conversation about the day and any relevant medical history. And I do mention if there's something that's just funky about the case or the patient or previous anesthetic record, you know, if they're a difficult airway, if they're, you know, 200 kilograms, I'm going to go ahead and mention that on a voicemail just so they have a heads up. Uh, as to what's going on. So. Yeah, they don't like to be surprised. So on something big, you know, as you mentioned, or aortic stenosis or something that, you know, when you're doing your plan at home, raises red flags, you should tell them that um, if it's going to change, you know, a normal treatment options. Um, and I always remember that this is, you know, first impressions matter. This is your first impression. So as, as everyone said, prepare ahead of time, try to be professional. I have kids at home. I'm not going to call them when I'm the kids are awake and, you know, trying to get something from me because I don't want screaming in the background. You know, I've waited till the kids are asleep. I lock myself in the bathroom <laughs> and then I'm ready, you know, and I have my patient in front, in front of me, especially, especially early on when you don't know what to expect because they will ask you, you know, what's your plan for tomorrow? And on day one, you know, you should be able to give that to them. So let's move on to the next morning. So you show up to clinical. How do you approach your CRNA in the morning? I know that, you know, like you said, first impressions, Brad, can be crucial. Is there anything that you try to communicate up front as to your plan of care or things that you want to accomplish for the day? Or how do you kind of set the tone as an SRNA when you first meet your CRNA in the morning? So when I've made my phone call, I'll tell them if it's a message or if, even if it's in person. Um, you know, I'll have the room set up. I'll have my machine checked. I'll have drugs drawn. Um, and that's, you know, just to let them know I'm taking the initiative. Um, gives them the opportunity to say if they have any tendencies they like, you know, oh, have an extra you know, 10 cc syringe there. I like to, you know, mix vecuronium or something like that. It gives them that opportunity. Um, and so I can have that set up already. Um, and then usually I'm telling them I'm meeting them in pre-op, um, letting them know that, you know, once my room's ready, I'll be going to see the patient. And those are the two things I think are important. You know, they like to see that you're taking the initiative to get everything set up ahead of time, less work for them, and that you're going to go ahead and see the patient. Um, so early on when we first started, I know some people didn't want us to see the patient. So again, voicing that ahead of time gives them the opportunity to correct you or yeah, Tell when, them you're, when you're first starting out, for exactly. sure, having, having that detailed plan. Mm -hmm. yeah. I like to um, really set a goal for myself, and I think Brad was talking about this earlier, um, especially when you're starting out. Um, some goals that I like to focus on in the beginning was more airway, 
um, induction sequence and intubating and be upfront with your CRNA to how what your expectations are of yourself and so they can have those similar expectations. So I think that's really important. I like to do that still now, you know, as a senior anesthesia student, um, communicating with my preceptors about what goals I want for the day. Yeah, I have to agree with you know what Kristen and Brad said. I, I generally always try to let them know the day before my plan is is that I'm going to get everything ready and have the room set up, and I'm going to meet them in pre-op. Um, and that's normally where I meet them. They'll normally walk through the door, and I'm kind of looking at their badge or whatever to see if it's uh, who I think it is. And then sometimes I'll ask other people, you know, hey, what's this person look like or whatever. And then um, you know, once I actually introduce the person, you know, they may say, you know, what's your what's your plan for today, or you know, what areas you feel weak on, and you know, if you hadn't got to do a lot of spinals or Whatever, be like, well, I really want, you know, I'm doing these today, so I'd really like to try to do all the spinals if I could, and you know, if get me out in between cases, and you know, that way they kind of know what what you want to do for that day, and then it kind of makes the rest of the day they know what the expectation is. So. For sure. Uh, you know, the, a lot of these preceptors they're working with students all the time, so they kind of have a feel for you know your progression through the program, whether you're you know first week of clinical, first six months, or you're wrapping up your your clinical time as a third year anesthesia student. So. I think it's definitely appropriate to just communicate clearly what your goals are. Again, with the whole tone of if you know how to get along well with others and communicate well with others, it can really set your day up for success. I'll just ask my my CRNAs politely, you know, are there any preferences that you have or is there, you know, particular things that you want me to know about how you do anesthesia that would uh, make our day go smoother? It may sound like I'm being too forward or I'm trying to tailor to them. You got to have that come off in the right way. But if you know that your uh, you know, CRNA does not use succinylcholine and they have something against sucks, then if you know that up front, then you're not going to pull sucks out for your induction. It's going to make you look a lot smoother, as Cass was alluding to earlier. <laughs> I think also something else that I try to do is if you've never done one of those cases before, if it's something new to you, like you may even tell them the night before, hey, I've never really done one of these before. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be my first one. I'm excited to learn everything you're going to teach me and yes. something like that. Just up front so they know that you know, you're know you not going into it, oh, he's done 10 of these and he knows what he's doing. You exactly. may be a, a SRNA student for six or eight months and never have done a particular case. And then when you get that opportunity, they're like, oh, well, you've been doing this for eight months. You should know how to do it. If I've never done it, I'll make sure that I'll let them know that. For me, that's one of the hallmarks of yeah. communicating with preceptors is just being honest about your experience level, what you've seen, what you haven't seen. You're not going to show up your first semester of doing clinical and know everything there is to know about doing anesthesia that can shift the gear so much in your favor to say, hey, this is the first time I've ever done this pediatric case of this type. And it gives them the chance to really teach you and kind of shepherd you through that day versus you trying to look smooth and then, you know, you experiencing more friction or, you know, doing something that, I don't know, you weren't prepared for uh, up front. So being honest and clearly communicating can really set you up for success. How do you all manage kind of just the conversation that goes on in the OR as a student? Starting off, I do not participate personally, um, unless someone asks me a direct question. You know, even if they are asking me direct questions, I make an exaggerated response, let you know, non-verbally to let them know that I'm still doing my job. You know, like I will make a extended you know stare at the screen to make sure that I'm checking vitals and I'm looking at fluid management and I'm looking at the ventilator and I'm looking at you know, what's going on over the case, even while I'm participating in those conversations, because I want everyone in the room to know that I am still engaged in the case, even if I'm talking about something else. I think uh, what Brad said, I mean, there's parts 
in anesthesia where you have those long six-hour back cases and your CRNA sitting there um, with their iPad and, you know, it's tempting not to become involved in that interaction because, you know, you're just cruising. You're on your maintenance phase. But I think that it's really important to really just try to stay focused, um, you know, continue to take a look around, um, make sure everything's right in place. But as long as the preceptor knows that you're still involved in the case and um, maintaining patient safety, I think it's okay to, I don't know, take a look at what they're, what's going on there. But just remember why you're there in the first place and to redirect your focus towards the patient and not feel like you're sucked into the, all of that. For sure. I think something else that is, a, is just some of the key points is small talk. It's, it's inevitable. It's going to happen at some point in time. Um, I try not to never be the initiator of it. So I'm not going to be the one that starts the small talk. If you do that, especially at certain times at critical points, you know, during, you know, induction or whatever, I mean, some CRNAs will literally say no, no small talk. Like, let's focus on what we're doing here or whatever. You know, at more lax times in the procedure, you know, maybe then you'll have some small talk. But I generally just try to stay focused on what I'm doing and taking care of the patient and making sure that my sequence is what I want it to be. And then let them kind of socialize and do what they need to in the room as opposed to trying to get involved in that conversation as well. Even if there's some things I want to say about it, I just keep it to myself. It makes the day go by easier. Yeah, I think erring on the side of professionalism, you can never go wrong. As a student, it's one of those things you just have to recognize is that you're there to learn a job and to do a task. And the last thing you want is you know, the surgeon or your preceptor or an anesthesiologist or, or really anybody thinking that you're not on task and professional during your clinical uh, rotations. I've had a former student give me this advice, and I try to follow it as close as I can. Is the first year, you know, lay low. The first year, you know, get there early, stay a little later, you know, don't rock the boat. And, you know, because you don't want to develop a reputation for yourself early on. Because anesthesia school is stressful, anesthesia school is long. And just get that first year under your belt, and then you can kind of see, you know, where you're at, and start yeah. making some different decisions. But and you'll get comfortable, I think, along the way, Perfect. and you'll you'll get comfortable with different CRNAs. There's different CRNAs that I've been friends with before anesthesia school, and so I get along, and you know, we're able to have conversations and stay on point. And then there's other CRNAs who they're very you know focused on the job at hand, and so that's how the day will kind of run. So. What do you think about nonverbal communication? Should you sit or should you stand in the OR as a student? I know it might seem like a really minor point, but early on, think back to your first semester as a, as a SRNA, it's kind of a, you know, do you go get a second chair for yourself or do you just plan on standing the whole day? What do you think? I think uh, as a novice here or SRNA, um, I, ten- I tended to stand more just because I didn't have a routine and I was always doing something. I was always forgetting something. And, I, you know, I just wanted to see what was going on. I wanted to see what was going on in the surgeries, pay attention to everything that was going on. It was a new environment for me. Um, now I've gotten the opportunity where I'm more comfortable. And I really think it just comes from experience. You know, I've heard both ways, you know, standing exudes that you're not very confident and sitting does. But um, I've had CRNAs tell me, like, to sit down during cases. Like, you don't need to stand the whole time. And in that sense, and that was early on. But um, 
I'm still a stander and I'm a senior student. So I just, I just like to pay attention and see what's going on. You so. made a really good point. I mean, half the battle is learning this, what's going on on the other side of the drape. Yeah. You know, that's how you tailor your anesthetic plan. So I did not come from a surgical environment. So in my ICU training, so I really needed to learn the surgeries and that, you know, so I was standing all the time, you know, seeing what was going on on the other side. Um, again, once you've got that figured out mm-hmm. and it's a long case, I mean, it's okay we're working sit. long hours. I do sit some, you know, yeah. especially if, if it was, if it, I actually never sit down until the CRNA tells me to, you know, or offers it. But, uh, yeah, I don't have that expectation that I'll ever sit down. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think you should plan to stand. <laughs> I think when you show up, you know, Good you're call. the student, you know, if you know the CRNA, if you've worked with them before, go grab a second chair for yourself. You all make great points. I think, you know, standing up, paying attention, watching the surgery. There's so much to learn about time and your anesthetic with different surgeries. Uh, it shows that you're involved. It shows that you're part of the surgical team. But I have heard the case, and I, and I agree with it in some instances, that, you know, sitting down after you've settled the patient in and things are in the way does communicate that the case is under your control. You're not fidgety and bouncing from, you know, the anesthesia machine to the cart to the drape. And it exudes this kind of things are okay, they're under control, and it can help exude confidence. So just know that, but then use it appropriately. I think sitting can go one of two ways, and it's all it's all on your approach and how you take it. If you're sitting, don't, like, push your chair back to against the med cart and have your feet up and been relaxed and not looking like you're involved in the case, even though you very well could be. Um, As a student, you need to play it safe. If you're going to sit, take your chair, pull it right up to the head of the bed. Make sure that they actively see you looking at the monitors. Um, Make sure that you get under the drapes every 15 minutes and check your twitches and stuff like that so that, yeah, you're sitting, but they know that you're still actively involved in that case. Every few minutes, turn around and look at your gases and make sure your oxygen is still flowing and stuff like that just to just ensure and make them know that, yeah, I'm really involved in this case. And, you know, I'm not just sitting down all relaxed and, you know, the Jimmy Buffett School of Anesthesia. But. <laughs> exactly, exactly. What do you think about the use of digital devices in the OR? So as a student, what do you, what's your personal practice and what are some tips for other students out there about phones and apps and stuff in the OR? Uh, well, I mean, I can start off on this one. Just personally, um, I don't bring my phone out at all during i'm not going to check any messages i'm not going to check any calls that i've missed or anything like that i just don't bring it out um now if we're in a case and they're like hey you know i haven't given um methylene blue in a while or whatever what's the maximum dose on it like you know it's not something i know it's not going to be on anything of my resources that i have but i have lexicomp on my phone and it may be on there um and so in that situation what i do is like you know hey actually i got lexicomp on my phone i'm gonna look it up real quick um don't just pull your phone out and start to look it up because they may think that you're responding to a text message or something like that so if you're going to bring the phone out um tell them that you know hey this is what i'm bringing it out for look it up put it back in your pocket um and if i'm going to check a message or anything i'm gonna wait till i take like a bathroom break or i'm on break and that's when i'm gonna check my messages and text people or whatever but um you know if you're in the room or if you're in the other thing is if you're in pre-op you know a lot of people consider that just as sacred as what they do in the or um so don't just be standing at the desk playing on your phone while you're waiting you know on the surgeon to come sign the chart like i just didn't put um a good foot forward I didn't even bring my phone in the OR for the first six months ever. I kept it in my locker. Wow. Um, <laughs> I got scolded, actually, by a CRNA who wanted to text me, um, you know, where the next case was and things like that. So I started carrying it ever since then. But, yeah, I'm, I'm the same as you, as you Cass. I, I don't look at it. If I have to look something up, I will. But it's usually prompting from someone else. You know, I 
try to have you know some resources um, I personally use some hard copies um, that I carry with me in my back pocket but yeah if it's not on there and I need to know it I'll look it up but I don't make a routine use of that. I've heard it's accepted um, yeah, by some I, of the people. I tend to, to use my phone, um, but I would give my preceptor a heads up. So if there was something that I didn't know or they did not know that I was like, hey, do you mind if I look that up on my phone? Mm. And I would make sure that they would see me looking up that on my phone, <laughs> not texting, not doing whatever. But um, I think that we've come into the age of you know, iPad and iPod and have a lot of great apps out there for, especially for anesthesia and And podcasts as well and podcasts. Yes. But, um, yeah, I think it's a great resource. Um, a lot of CRNAs use their phones to look up things that, you know, there's a million things that we need to know. They're not always going to be on the top of your head. Like Cass said, what's the maximum dose of methylene blue? (laughs) So I tended to use it. Um, but I just let or communicated with my preceptor ahead of time. Hey, I'm going to, do you mind if I look this up on my phone? And if they were okay with it, okay. If not, then you're just look like an idiot because you don't know what the maximum dose of that blue is. And I mean, also on a side note, I mean, on top of that, so a point that we can take into our actual uh, professional practice when we get out is that be careful and be mindful of what you're doing during these downtimes in some of these cases because, you know, I know there's an actual case um, that I read about a few weeks ago um, of an anesthesiologist who was in a case, and it, um, long story short, the patient ended up um, coding and dying. Um and because of that, they pulled all of the um, anesthesiologist's records from his iPhone, from his iPad. You know, and he'd been making posts on Facebook and this, that, and the other. And whether that had played a part of what happened, um, he was still held accountable for it. And it didn't didn't look good for um, anesthesiologists and the anesthesia community in general. And it certainly didn't do him any justice in the case. So. You know, I think one of the best things that, that I've been told is by one of the CRNAs that I've worked with. And you're there for a purpose. And I think most of this pockets that we're in, uh, communicating with the preceptors, it's really about developing habits that hopefully you'll carry with you into your practice. And so, you know, we're not just saying this so that you look good, but it's so that you do good. It's so that you do good anesthesia, so that you do pay attention. You do know how to make a, you know, scan of your environment every couple of minutes, how to utilize technology in the OR, how to communicate well with other people, how to be professional in general. So I think there's a lot of good apps. There's a lot of good info out there, but your job is there to take care of the patients and pay attention. And so keep that in mind, especially as a student. Yes. I know one thing that that petrifies a lot of SRNAs is getting quizzed heavily on clinical content. Any advice for dealing with that in the OR? Stay tuned to the top door rundown. That's right. Which is, which, which, is be, <laughs> which is going to be a podcast on basically all the medications in the top drawer, everything about them, mechanism of action. Help me out, guys. <laughs> Doses, side effects. Doses, classes, all that good stuff. Yeah, contraindications. Everything that you could get pimped on. Um, you know, if your CRNA asks you, and that's those are actually a lot of the questions that I got asked first off is. Hey, what's what is neosinephrine? What does that do? So um, that's going to be a good podcast. So stay tuned for that. I think there's two things. You know, my personal opinion on it is one. I've noticed that how I communicate with my preceptors prior to starting the case tended to reflect, 
you know, how many questions they asked me. I felt like if they, you know, sensed weakness or if they sensed that I wasn't prepared, I was getting grilled. They were going to eat you. I mean, essentially. Um, But if I acted confidently, um, especially the first couple minutes in the OR, I tended not to get those questions as much. And the second thing is, if you have peer groups who are willing to tell you (laughs) questions that they were pimped on, so to speak, um, oftentimes the CNAs are using the same kind of questions. Uh, some of the more off-the-wall ones, you know, if you share amongst yourselves, you can be better prepared for it early so it doesn't catch you as um, off guard. And then also how you respond. You know, like you should be responding confidently if you know the answer. If you don't, don't try to make it up. Um, just simply tell them they don't, you know, don't know the answer, that you will find out the answer, and follow back with them. That's a big thing that I know that uh, several of our classmates have done is, they call it closing the loop. You know, don't just say, I don't know, and that's the end of it. But to really look it up, learn it yourself, and let them know that you've learned yeah, it. Yeah, grab their email or, you know, if they prefer a text or something or a call. But follow back up with them. I carry a little notebook. You typically have paper with you, um, you know, clipboard or whatever. Make a note of what they want you to look up. And, uh, it's again, it's okay to be honest and just say, I don't know. You know, and if they... If they're disappointed in you, then they're disappointed in you. So, you know, some of the things that I've learned best are things that I didn't know when I needed to know them, but then I went and I looked and figured it out. Yeah, I mean, I have to agree with what you guys said. You know, if I had to pick hot topics for, you know, medication lists or gases or whatever, I would say, one, you got to know, like, your mechanism of action. That's something that they normally always ask. Something that they also may ask a lot is contraindications, um, reasons why you wouldn't want to ever give that drug or certain situations. Um, and then half-lives. A lot of people will be like, well, what's the half-life of this or what's the half-life of that? So knowing half-lives of, you know, the drugs that we give more commonly. You know, and I have been asked, you know, questions like, you know, what's the blood gas solubility of desflurane, like, as I'm doing induction and you know sometimes it's just like I got too much going on I can't think about it I'm like oh, I'll tell you in just a second you know give me or give me a second to think about it um, and finish what you're doing and then but make sure you, you close that loop and you come back and I'm like oh yeah so you asked me this and this is the answer or whatever or if you can kind of roll with it on the fly go ahead and tell them the answer I mean it's only going to look good um, so just be prepared for stuff like that I think sometimes you know you get settled into the case it's finally quiet and you can tell, like your CRNA is like, now it's time for questions. And so they might sneak a couple questions in, but one of the techniques, and this is kind of a this is kind of a trade secret I'm about to say, one of the techniques I use is I'll try to answer a couple of questions and then I start asking questions. And I just try to redirect the conversation. I don't try to get out of dodge, I don't try to die, you know, I don't try to get around it. But but if I can if I can steer the conversation, because what they're really wanting to do is talk clinical anesthesia. They want to teach. And so if I can ask them questions, you know, people, people love talking about what they know. They love teaching about what they are passionate about. So I might say, so how do you do anesthesia? You know, this is, what do you think about the, the way that we did induction today? What would you do different? Uh, I've got, you know, I saw this case last week. This is what we did. How would you do that differently? And you'll, you'll magically find out that their energy gets redirected away from just asking you questions and, f- and finding out the borders of your ignorance. And they begin to tell you about what they know, and it can be a much more enjoyable experience. I can't believe you just let that secret go on air. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> SRNAs out there, don't let any of the CRNAs know. <laughs> it's a secret. Well said. Well, there are a lot of reasons that people ask questions. Some people are genuinely inter- interested in seeing what you know. Mm-hmm. Some people are just trying to put you under pressure by when they're asking when you're you know, yeah. intubating. And some people are just trying to, you know, they were asked a bunch of questions and they were really hard and they're going to do it to their students no matter what. Or they're curious to see what you know because you have most of the newer information. A lot of CRNAs 
because they're really curious to see what's been going on in yeah. literature and you're the ones that are there doing that all the time. Yeah. Hopefully you are a resource because yeah. you're in school and the info is fresh in your brain. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, that's true too. So we've talked about a lot of things today. Um, what do you, so wrapping up, what do you think are just some of the pearls about communicating with preceptors? So if there's, you know, one or two takeaway points from each of you, uh, what do you think would set people up for success that are entering the clinical environment as an SRNA? I think one thing that several um, preceptors have told me is that especially there's a big difference in how you should be communicating on day one versus, you know, two months in. You know, day one, it's probably acceptable to say, is it okay if I give X drug, you know? Is it okay if I do this? You know, because you're trying to learn, you know, learn them and learn essentially anesthesia. Two months in, if you continue to ask that, sometimes a lot of people are perceiving it as you don't know or you don't trust yourself. So sometimes, and this is a very touchy subject with some people, um, you, you should be taking the initiative to start practicing, quote unquote, independently. You know, a lot of people see that as, oh, he gets it. You know, he's not, at, you know, bugging me with all these questions. Um, so that's, and occasionally it will burn you, and someone will say, hey, you should have asked me before you gave me, you know, two of metoprolol or something. Um, but overwhelmingly, in my experience at least, you know, people have it's. As long as you're doing what you know what you're supposed to do, they perceive right. that as, okay, he's developing as you know, an independent practitioner, which is eventually the goal for all of us. Yeah, the goal is that you actually know what you're doing and that you do it mm-hmm. in school. So you should see yourself go through that transition. Great. Anyone else have anything? I don't know. I think you know, some of the important parts we kind of already mentioned is, one, um, don't, don't get involved in the small talk that much. Um, exude confidence where you can. Um, be honest. That's one of the biggest things, you know, uh, is if, if you don't know something or if you did something that you shouldn't have done, like don't try to cover it up and make it worse. Just be honest about whatever the situation is. Um, and some of the other points that we talked about, you know, is, as far as being brief whenever you're leaving your um, you're calling your CRNA and stuff that before, you know, it's, it, all that stuff's just going to um, – treat you well and make you look good all in the, in the long run yeah i think i think being humble um being motivated please and thank you go a long way not just to your crna but to the or nurse your anesthesia tech the surgeon uh those kind of things can be really helpful yeah i agree with all you guys um just being teachable um being humble for you know, like I said, coming into the environment where you used to be on top and now you're not. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, just be teachable. I think the hardest thing as a student coming in is there's a lot of different ways to do anesthesia and you will encounter new ways to do anesthesia every single day and just be flexible and just think of it as an opportunity to learn different ways to do things before you get out of school. So. Well, cool, y'all. Well, thanks for tuning in. And uh, we were talking about communicating with preceptors today. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Thank you. Hey, y'all. John here. If you're digging the show, will you take a couple of minutes and drop a review of Anesthesia Guidebook on Apple Podcasts? Your comments and ratings help other people trust the show. Also, send a link to the podcast to your classmates and colleagues. Word of mouth is the best way for Guidebook to grow. Thanks so much. And I'll see you next time.